Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. We began talking last Sunday, and we're going to continue for the next few weeks about this idea of something being empty. And the song that we just sang, we talked about the reckless love of God, and just in our, from our perspective, it just doesn't seem even feasible that God would do what he did for us. And what we learned last week is because of the empty cross and an empty tomb and even the empty clothes that were left in the grave, we can, we can find that he wants to fill the holes in our lives, the emptiness in our life, by, by those things that he left empty. And the, the cross and the grave, all of those things, filling the holes in our lives and the hope and the peace that we find in an empty tomb. And that's what we want to look at is through the, through the different areas of our life that we need to find some, some filling, something that fills the holes that we find in, in the daily existence that we have. So that's what we're going to continue on, and, and I, I'm excited about where God's going to lead us. But as we look back even to Easter and, and last Sunday being April 1st, and uh, of course, the kind of the, the, the running story was it was on April Fool's last week. And so that was, that was kind of interesting as people talk about it. It hadn't happened in, in so many years and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is also, this particular Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, is by many religious traditions what they refer to as Holy Humor Sunday. And the reason they call it that, and we've talked about it a little bit here every once in a while, is because it's, it's, it's the, the fact, one, that you smile because of everything that happened. There's a, just, there's a joy in what Jesus did, but, but it's kind of under the table thinking, you know, the devil thought maybe he'd won, and well, you lose, dude, right? That's kind of the idea. So it's kind of this idea of, of holy humor. So I always like to just kind of start that way on this particular Sunday and kind of remind us where we were at Easter and kind of think about this. So I got a couple pictures for you. This one just, first of all, this was kind of, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. You know, the groundhogs got it going, Ron, right? Okay, that was my first one. Now, you all know, if you've been around me at all, I'm not a very good joke teller. I'll just say that right off the bat. Okay? You don't tell, I don't tell jokes um, it, because usually they've, so I had to write them down so that I wouldn't get them wrong, okay? But how many remember growing up looking in the Reader's Digest for like the humor and, you know, laughter is the best medicine. Okay, so Reader's Digest had their top 30, and I picked three that were my favorites I want to share with you, okay? So these are just corny jokes. You got to laugh, okay? Here we go. Number one, what's the best thing about Switzerland? I don't know, but the flag is a big plus. Got that? Okay, the big plus. All right, good. Isn't that, that good, right? Okay. All right, number two, why did the scarecrow win an award? Answer. Because he was outstanding in his field. <laughs> right? I love that one. This is my favorite. I actually laughed out loud when I read this. Why did the chicken go to the seance? To get to the other side. Uh, right. Okay. All right. Okay. Everybody laugh. Okay. Thank you. All right. Now turn to the person next to you with a big smile on your face and say, hey, Jesus is alive. Just tell them that. Look at the person next to you. Right? If there's, nothing, if there's anything on earth that should make us smile, it's that very truth. Jesus is alive. And we have that to rejoice about even today. Whether, whatever Sunday it is, whatever day of the, of the world it is, there is a reason to rejoice, and that's because Jesus is alive. So that takes us to our verse for this particular series. 1 Peter chapter number 1. This becomes our theme of what we're talking about. Because of the empty tomb, that just changes everything. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth 
into a living hope. I want to stop there. New birth. Okay, we're in, we're in, believe it or not, we're actually in springtime. Did you know that? I just thought I'd remind you. Okay, this is, the, this is spring. We've been in it for a couple of weeks, believe it or not. All right, just because it snows in spring, that's weird, but it happened, okay? We were in Springfield, Missouri over the weekend, Friday night, snow and ice. It's spring, you know, uh, hello. But anyway, beside the point, spring, the, the one thing about it, and Easter is usually right in the middle of that, is that, that thought of new life and, and buds and, and green grass. And, this, and so this whole idea, there's something about new life that grabs our attention. He says he's given us new birth into a living hope. Hope that's not just somewhere down the road, but a hope that's alive. Hope that is actually in function right now. But where does all this come from? Somebody tell me the next phrase. Through the what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have hope. We have new birth. We have new life. We have all of this because of one action, and that was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's what the empty tomb does for us. It, it, it brought all of that into existence, hope, new birth, all of those things through the resurrection. So when Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he said, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he said, and this is how I'll prove it. This is how I'll make that happen. I'll resurrect from the dead. When Jesus came back to life, he made this possible that we could not only have life, but have it to the full. So that's what we're talking about. The fact that in our lives, there are holes, there are things that we find empty, and the empty tomb actually makes it possible for us to find meaning, find the purpose, find whatever is, is missing in our life. It starts at the, the empty tomb. That's where we find that. So today, with that in mind, our first thought is the idea of an empty life. Just what it is that we're here for, why, why am I here, what is my purpose, what is my, it, it, can I find it? There, in, in many people's lives, that's where they find the deepest hole. And it, age is really, it's no respecter of age or person. We find often that we're struggling with these particular questions. The, history tells us of a man who, who literally took a journey about this particular issue. He, with all of his heart, he wanted to find the, the, fill the empty holes in his life. So he had the resources to do it, and he tried everything he could. History tells us he, uh, he had literally just through parties. He started, he started right there, just entertainment. He did whatever he could, and he had the money to do this, right? So he invited all his friends in, had the best steaks, the best beverages that, the, that you could find, and he had all, brought that all in and found out didn't really fill the emptiness. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Emptiness is still there. He also, the history tells us, he tried, uh, he tried sexual exploits. And we're not just talking being married and being married multiple times. He, he almost literally had a, a, a different woman every night of the week. That was his, what he tried. And he tried all of that, came up, that didn't, that didn't fulfill the, the empty hole in his life. There's still something. So he said, okay, if a playboy lifestyle is not going to work, just having fun is not going to work. He then literally poured himself into his work. He began to do everything to try to, to, to be more successful. He, he, he literally then took that, and not only just for himself, but he actually started helping people. He became a humanitarian. He built gardens. He built communities. He, he, he would have been, uh, you know, he was, would have been Times Man of the Year if, if they had it in, in his history time. He was a, that kind of a guy. The things that he did and the accomplishments and the, and the exploits and all of that, and it still comes down and it, it, it didn't work. History tells us the man's name was Solomon. He was the third king of Israel, lived about 3,000 some years ago, 
And here's how he wraps up his, his endeavors. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 17, this is what Solomon said. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. That's after he tried all that stuff and he said, I hate life. The work is grievous. I mean, that's pretty solemn, right? Welcome to Calvary. I hope you're encouraged, right? That's a really tough verse when you think about what he just said in, in these words. And that's after trying all this stuff that he literally did try. But, but I, I just, you may not have the same uh, history that Solomon had, but, but I just am almost guaranteed that in this audience there are some, if not many, who would say similar words, at least at different points in your life. Have you ever woke up in the morning or maybe in the middle of the night and thought, man, my, my work, what I do with my life is, is grievous? I mean, literally that means bad, miserable, it's just, it's just wrong. I just don't get it. I just don't feel like that there's any purpose. Maybe you're one, you're still, you're young and you're coming, coming along and you're, you're pouring everything into it and you're thinking, man, what am I doing this for? Why am I knocking myself out? Or maybe you're close to the other end of it and you're, you're looking back and think, did I really make any difference? Was there really any purpose to this? You, you come back and you think, was all, of this, was all of this really necessary or did it have, have any meaning at all? And, and you find yourself trying to fill some empty places, some empty spots with something just trying to find something. Here's a man who tried everything and came back with this, this particular um, idea. I mean, we've, you've, you've tried it. Let, let's, let's look this way. Maybe you don't understand Solomon, but you've, 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 hard, you've been a hard worker. I mean, you know, hashtag candle at both ends, right? You've just done, you've done everything you could. You've poured yourself into that. You're, you're, you're trying to be the best, the best parent you can be. You're trying to be the best student, the best citizen, everything. You're trying everything. You're coming into it. Maybe you've tried, uh, you know, entertainment or you've, you've volunteered. You've done charity and all these things. I mean, you would find yourself maybe not to the, the exploits of Solomon, but very much, and it still seems like something's just missing. It's empty. A lot of people we're going to meet, and I believe right here in this room, may find that answer. So here's today's theme. When we talk about filling an empty hole, I want you to grab this thought. Christ's performance fills my life with purpose. Now, we're going to unpack that as we go along, but I want you to see it again. Christ's performance fills my life with purpose. Or I believe you could say it this way, and let me give you one other way of putting it. Who I am and why I'm here depends on who he is and what he has done. Christ's performance gives my life purpose. Why I'm here, what I'm concerned about, goes back to him. And it's not just about me and what I've thought. Let's talk about that word performance for a moment. I don't know when you see that word, what, what comes to mind. When I think of the word performance, pressure comes to mind. I, I've got it. I mean, right... I, I, this comes right here this morning. I got to get this message. It's got to be a good one, right? You know, because I know you may not hold them up, but you got little scorecards, right? This is, that was a four, right? That was a 10. I mean, I, I get it. I, I know that happens, whether you mean to or not. And so I'm uh, performance. I got to be, I got to make sure people are happy. I've got to make sure this is, I got to make sure things are going. Performance means pressure. I got to be a better dad. I got to make sure I don't blow it. My kids are some kind of citizens, you know, I just got to, I, 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 performance is pressure. 
Am I, am I correct? Does that make sense? And we live in a performance-based society. We live in the fact of how we perform and what does it look like. So many of these pressures, they're self-inflicted, but it's about how am I performing? How am I doing? Am I doing it well enough? And, and I've got to try a little bit harder to, be, to perform well, to do it. And in that pressure, you find emptiness. Ultimately, when the pressure's gone and everything's done and you put all it into it, it's still all of that work and it still didn't seem to fill what you're, what you're trying to do. I think many of us can find ourselves there. So let's see if we can learn what this verse, these scriptures mean to us. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. If you want to find it in your scriptures or your electronic devices, Philippians chapter 3. And I want to show you where, where, how the, the book of Philippians written by a guy named Paul tells us, I think, some answers to this performance-based culture that we live in. Paul, let me give you a little setting in case you're unfamiliar. Paul, the, the author of this particular book, was not always a Christian. In fact, he was, he was one who, who was actually against them at the beginning. But when he later becomes a Christian, he finds himself not only being persecuted uh, for being a Christian, but then he became a preacher and becomes persecuted for that. And so when he's writing the book of Philippians, this is what's called one of the, past, the, the prison epistles. He's actually in, imprisoned or at least in some kind of incarceration for his beliefs and for his preaching. So what we find in the book of Philippians, in the middle of all this, here's a man, and he's full, and it's not full of anger, it's not full of revenge, it's not full of regret. He's literally, what we find in Philippians, he's full of joy. Now that sounds crazy, if you think about it. Here's a guy that's given everything in, in so many ways, finds himself in prison, and yet joy is a part of his life. And, and to find out how he got to that part of joy, I want us to, to take a look, and I believe what Paul learned, that it's Christ's performance that gives my life purpose. And I think Paul's going to show us that. Philippians chapter 3, and I just want to read through these verses and, and, and give you an idea of what he says. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. There it is. You're going to find that, ver that exact words again in chapter 4. He actually says it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Here's a guy sitting in some kind of incarceration talking about rejoicing. That, that's his spirit. He says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it's a safeguard for you. And I notice, notice what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. We'll talk about those in a minute. Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision... And I want you to see this verse, we're going to come back to it, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, he says, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now listen to this. Circumcise the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now let me stop right there. Some of you are saying, what in the world is he talking about? There's some concepts here that he's using that are just not what we talk about today, but they are, they are still completely relevant to where we live every day of our lives. He's talking about the fact that there are people that are basing their lives on performance, and in fact, these people on their performance, they, they believe that the performance is so important that they want to make sure everyone else is performing. Those are the people he refers to as the dogs, the mutilators of the flesh. It's those that are going after others to make sure they're performing up to what they say they need to perform to. Right? So it's not just performers, but it's making sure everybody else performs up to the same level. But here, here's what he's saying. He says, listen, I know what it is to play that game. 
I, I did it. And, and to prove it, he goes into this kind of litany of, of things that he did. Verse number four, he says, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he says, I have more. If these people think they're performers, let me just tell you a thing or two, okay? I know what this game, how this game looks. And then he goes to this list. And he starts off with, I'm of the circumcision. All that's talking about is I am a Jew above Jews. I am the one that, I wasn't a proselyte. I, I didn't come, you know, out of, out of left field. I, in fact, he talks about I'm the tribe of Benjamin. Now, there's a lot of things to be said, a tribe of Benjamin, for one, just to know which tribe he was from. That was huge. So here's a Jew who knows what tribe he's from. The tribe of Benjamin was also one of the two tribes that stayed with David when David or David's family whenever there was a big revolt. And so Benjamin was this royal family, and he knows he's part of Benjamin. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says, listen, you want to talk about confidence? You want to talk about performance? That's me. In fact, he says, listen, when it comes to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Pharisee, we don't use that term except in church, but a Pharisee was the strictest of the sects of the Jews, the ones that, that was the one that, that they did everything and they knew the law and they made sure people followed the law. He says, I was a Pharisee. In fact, history would tell us he was probably one of the judges of the Pharisees. He, I mean, he was huge. He, he had been studied. He, he knew what the law was. He goes, I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. And then as for zeal, you want to talk about somebody who was passionate I persecuted the church. There were people who I thought were hurting the Jewish faith, and I, I went out to kill them. You want to talk about passion, that's me. Performance, that's me. He said, listen, and as for righteousness based on the law, nobody could blame me. I'm faultless. He goes, listen, you want to talk about performance, let's just stop right here. If you want to just make that your, your standard, then I, then I set the standard pretty high. If, that's your, if performance is where you're looking, if that finds it, he's like Solomon. He says, I've done it. I've been there. I've done that. That's his point. I played that game. And he compares himself to others, and, and that's the whole idea. As far as other people, I've got it made. And that's the problem that, that I find very often in our lives when we talk about this. What we do is we're comparing ourselves with someone else. And there's two, two big things that happen with that. Either it's pride in saying, See, look, look what I did. You guys are pfft, nothing. Or I look at you and go, man, I can't do anything right. You do it so well. You're always got it together. And compared to you, pfft, what am I? And both sides are completely wrong. Here's, here's the problem. When you're based on your performance rather than Christ's, you're going to find the pressure. And you find Paul just saying, listen, you want to play that game? I can play that game. I've done the performing. I've done everything. And it comes down to this. That just left me empty. That will leave you empty. If you're based on your performance, whether it's based on your religious performance or your, your life performance. And, and so here's what we're going to learn from Paul in this passage. We're going to learn how to move from, from basing my life on my performance and basing it on someone else's performance. And that's Christ and the difference that can make. Before we do, let me go back and look at a couple of these words. When he talks about those dogs, mutilators of the flesh, here's what I know from a personal perspective, there will, be, there will be those who want to make you live by your performance. Maybe it's somebody from your past, and all you hear is the voices of, you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, you can't do this right, and you hear this dog that's saying, you've got to perform better. Maybe it's a culture around you, and you look on the, you know, what a, what a horrendous thing to look on a, a, a newsstand and see a magazine of some airbrushed model and saying, That's, you, need to perform, you need to look like that. You need to perform like that. I mean, our culture is telling us, you've got to be better. You've got to perform. You're not good enough. 
Or maybe it's just this little voice in your head. Maybe it's based on what you've heard, or maybe there's just something that says to you, I'm just not good enough. That's the dogs. That's the mutilators. That's the thing that's trying to get you to to live by your performance, and I know it's there. In fact, I told my wife this, and so she's she's already prepared herself, but this is a tough sermon for me today. I'll just be honest. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to preach to me. If you want to hang around and listen, that's great. Okay? If not, there's coffee, there's other places. But I'm preaching to me today because this is, a, this is real life. The fact that we want to base our life on performance and how I'm doing and how I'm doing and I'm not good enough. And that's a tough... And what you find is if you go down that road, it's always empty. The more you get into it, you uncover another link, and it's, it's still empty because your performance is never going to be good enough. You're never going to be perfect enough. You're never going to make it enough. So here's what Paul is telling us. Listen, I've had it. I've got it. I got it. You want to talk performance? I've done it. And there's those others that they want to make you live up to the performance. I want to give you a different way. He said, if I'm doing this based on my flesh, I've got confidence. But I want to show you there is a better way than living according to your performance and according to what what you say. So just to give us an idea of what we're talking about today, I pulled out something I thought might help us. How many are familiar with things like this, right? Your performance, your trophies, right? Got to do more. Boy, we love those, don't we? Okay, now some of you, some of you, you... Younger generation, everybody gets one of these. I know, you just participate, you get a trophy. But back in the day, dudes, right, you had to work for these things, man. You had to work hard for a trophy like this. I mean, participation, whatever, okay? You had to work for these suckers. But here's how important this was. I had to go in the garage and dig this out of a box. Is that not true? That no matter how hard you work, this performance, somebody didn't even care anymore. It's dusty. I had to find it to be able to bring it and show it to you today. And to be honest, this isn't even mine. It's my son. So we're just supposed to be completely vulnerable, okay? I have no idea where all my trophies went, right? I had to find one of my sons, okay? But if we're living for this, at some point, I can't do this anymore. At some point, I'm not that good anymore, at some point, somebody else is going to break my record in the 400, right, Shell? Right? Somebody's going to break that. that uh, her name's Veronica, but that's no, no hard feelings, okay? <laughs> At some point, all, your, all our awards, if it's based on our performance, it was fun, but it's empty. Ultimately, this won't last. And Paul says, there is a better way. And that's what I believe he wants to teach us. Man, I've studied this passage so many times, and this just... It comes alive if you think about what Paul's trying to tell us. Let me read the next verses. Here's what Paul says. Where do I find this joy and contentment? Verse 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He literally uses a financial term, gains and losses, right? He says, whatever I counted in the, in the plus column, really, I, now I see that they, weren't, they really didn't mean anything. Listen to what he says. What is more, I consider everything a loss, and look at this, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul's telling us in this verse how we can switch from living by our performance 
to something that actually lasts and, and gives us something that fulfills what we're truly looking for. But it's not found in this. These things go away. It's just loss. There is something deeper. There's something greater. Here's what I want to share. Just four thoughts as I walk through this particular thing. To change our stress of performance into joy, to, uh, to turn our frustration into satisfaction, what is Paul teaching us? Let me throw out four thoughts to you. Number one is this. My approval comes from what Christ did for me. I, I, I'm sure there are some who would agree with me where you, you would find yourself in the same category. We're people pleasers. Some of us are deeper people pleasers than others. All of us do it to some degree, but some of us are, you know, we're habitual people pleasers. We live for the applause of people, and we want people to be happy with us. And, and there's nothing in, inherently evil about that, but if that's what we're living for, at some point when the applause stops, it's, it's empty. We find that there's something missing if that's where our approval comes from. If, if we're finding it enough. So listen to what Paul says in the, in the next verse, verse 8. He says, I consider them garbage. I consider it rubbish. I consider it really doesn't mean anything of all those things that I have done so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own right, uh, having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, he's saying people, we're trying, people, in religious terms, they try to earn their salvation. They're trying to do things just to make sure that God is, hopefully someday God's going to be more pleased with their good works than he was their bad works. Or as believers, we find ourselves trying to, to earn God's favor by, by making sure that we're doing enough to please him. And it's all based on our performance. And what we've got to do as believers, what, what I've got to do as a believer, and I pr promise you this is as personal as it can be, is that I've got to stop living for, for the approval of, of man and Live for the approval of, of God. Oh, man, that rolls off my tongue. I said that before. But to live that and to realize that my approval comes from what was already done. I don't have to be approved by God. There was something else that happened that made that approval possible, and that was that through what Jesus Christ did, he did it for me. There, there's things that when I, I'm trying to earn God's love or I'm trying to, I've, I, I know I'm saved, but I've got to do, I've, all of that earning, that performance. He, uh, my wife shared this phrase with me this week, and, and I love it. God's love is not based on us. God's love is placed on us. Wow, think about that. God's love is not based on who I am. God's love is placed on me. And when he saved me through what Jesus did, he placed his love on me, and that is where I find approval. That's where I should find my approval, in the fact of what he did for me. He achieved it. I receive it. He achieved all that is needed. He achieved the, the, the worth of God. He, he did that through his sinless life. And so I just received that when I received Christ as my Savior. It becomes a part of the approval. It's not what I do. It's what he's already done. If you keep on reading here in Philippians, verse 10, he said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Look at this, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He said, listen, I look right past me and my accomplishments and what I've done, and I look to what Jesus did. And I want to participate in his sufferings. I want to be like his death and his resurrection. That's what gives me honor. That's what gives me approval. It's not how good I have been or what I do or how many things I accomplished. Jesus did it all. 
all. I stand before God as one of his children approved before him because of what Jesus did. My approval comes from what Christ has already done. His work is finished. It's complete. He's already done everything. We're, we're memorizing a verse from friends of mine in Hebrews chapter 12. And it talks about how Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. He went to the cross, he endured it, but the last phrase, don't forget, it says, and now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That means when he says it is finished, he meant that. It's done. It's complete. And so now you have a picture of him sitting down. It means the job's done. It's over. Salvation is complete. He did it all. And so for me to continue, for me to, anyone to try to work for their salvation, you're missing the point. Jesus already took care of that. And now as a Christian, if I'm trying to win God's approval, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm sitting down here. I've already done that. It's been approved. You're one of God's kids. You find your approval. You find your forgiveness. You're justified. You don't earn God's approval by what you do. You already have his approval because of what he's done when he gave his son for us on the cross. So, what do we do? Well, we, we then can trade in the old trash of, of our performance and everything we've tried to do, all the things that we did, and none of it was flawless. You may have been better than 10 other people in that race, but you weren't flawless. None of us are. And so think about that. What, what do we try to do? We're trying to be the best parents in the world. And so we keep trying. And, and don't stop. Keep trying. But understand, you're never going to be flawless. So you turn in those flawless efforts, and you turn in your best attempts and your best tries, and you turn it over to one who was flawless. You turn it over to the one who was sinless, the one who did it perfectly. And, and the reason we know that is because when three days after he died, what was in the tomb? It was empty. He already proved, I've done this, I've won it, I lived a sinless life, and I died, and I rose again. So put your, tr- your approval, find it in what Jesus, what Jesus has done. This morning, I was, um, I-, I was listening to some music, and this song came across, and-, and I know some of you know it, but I just want to hear the words. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is, the cross has made. The cross has made you flawless. No matter the hurt no ma- or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is, the cross has made. The cross has made you, tell me, flawless. Do you understand that you, if you're one of God's kids, you stand before him right now in his presence, justified. That means flawless. Not because of what you did, what Jesus did. Your purpose in life is based on Christ's performance, and he was flawless. And so that's how we stand. With that thought in mind, it continues to move forward to another phrase that I want to point out, that not only is my approval found in what Jesus has done, my identity is found in who I am then in in Christ. What he did now changes my, my, who I am. What he did actually changed me. We're, we're in a culture that is really, um, enamored right now with, with finding out your ancestry. We've talked about that before. Ancestry DNA. And you're going to, and there's that one commercial that cracks me up. He said, I, I used to wear, you know, I used to wear a kilt. Then I did answer. Now I wear lighter hosen because I wasn't Irish. I'm German, you know, and it's like, who gives a rip? But that's just my personal opinion. Okay, I'm not trying to preach anything here, but just interesting, right? That we're so big about this identity and who we are. And 
But here's what I know. And, and I don't know, see me. Often I confuse who I am with what I do. In my, in my life, it, it, man, this has been really, really easy because for the first three or four years of my kids' lives, they all thought my first name was Pastor. They did. I mean, they would go to their teacher, what's your dad's first name, Pastor? They didn't know I had another name, right? They just, because Pastor is, is what I do, Pastor became very easily who I am. So what happens when I'm not doing a real good job? Or what happens when I don't get a 10 on a sermon? If I'm basing my identity on how I perform Suddenly, I'm not feeling too good about who, who I am in life. Do you ever find yourself there? Maybe, maybe it's not pastor. Maybe it's, you know, your, your dad, your teacher, your, your, your this worker, your that. And, and, it's, and people know you by that. But what happens when that doesn't work? Or when, that, when you can't, you, you know, like these trophies, when you can't run the ball anymore, when you can't do some of those things. If that's what your identity is based on what you do, then when that stops or when it doesn't work the right way or when you fail at it, then suddenly your identity is, is crushed because you're finding your identity in, in the things that you do. Let, let me read this, this verse for you, verse number 12. It says, Paul said this, Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He's saying, I know I'm not perfect, and, and he'll say it later, I, I never will be. I've not arrived at the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's something about what Jesus did for me. When he saved me, there's, there was a reason for that. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10, Paul writes these words. He says, we are Christ's um, handiwork. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You're on purpose. You're a handiwork. You're a masterpiece. You're a, you're a poem written by God. And at salvation, he has this great life plan for you. He grabbed you for a reason. There is a purpose that he did what he did on the cross. And when he, as one of God's kids, he's, he's made that real. He's made that a purpose in your life. So let me read verse 12 again from a different translation. It says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Look at this. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Do you realize that what your identity is, is not in what you do, it's not in how good you do it, it's in who you are, and who you are, if you've accepted Christ, you're God's kid, you are his, you belong to him, you are a masterpiece, a handiwork, God has, your identity is found in what Jesus has made you and is making you, he has made you his own. And you have, that to, you have that as part of who you are and what God has done for you. There's a verse that, that jumps out at me once in a while, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. We know this to be future, but it, it's already as if it's for us. If you're the one who is victorious, and, and I truly believe he's talking about all those who are followers of Christ, all the overcomers. To the one who is victorious, he says, I will, and this is Jesus speaking, write on them the name of my God, and I will also write on them my new name. You ever got that coat at school? And the only way you'd keep from losing it, because your mom, you went through about 40 coats, what did she do? You wrote your name in it, which means that belongs to you, right? You write your name on something. You, 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 sign, you sign it because that's yours. That shows ownership. It also shows value because I want to get that back because it's got my name on it. I just, just for nothing, there's a lot of dishes over in the kitchen. It's got some names on it. Just throwing that out. You might want to go look. You probably could have a whole new set of kitchen dishes. 
if they don't have a name on them, take them. They could be yours, right? So then write your name on them. And they become, isn't that interesting? All right, so you hold it, see the point? There's value, there's ownership when your name is on it. This, uh, if you, any of you have kids that are uh, anywhere from my kids' age and younger, you, I guarantee you've seen this movie, and some of you grandparents have as well, called Toy Story. Have you seen that movie, right? There, there's, it's, great, it's a great movie. There's a, a kid, it's all a cartoon, a kid that has toys, and when, he, when no one's around, the toys come to life, right? You know that. And the two big characters, Buzz Lightyear and uh, Woody, right? And they, they're, but they're constantly in this identity. Who, is they going to love me? Is he going to love me if he gets more toys and all this kind of stuff, right? That's the whole story. Well, just in one part of the first movie, if you've watched it, Buzz comes with this idea, and he finds out who he is, and he just doesn't, and he literally says, I'm nothing but a stupid toy. And his friend says, wait a second, you're not just a stupid toy. There's a little boy over there who thinks you're something special, and it's not because you're, it's because you're his toy. And I want you to see this picture, because it just, it just grabbed my attention. I read that verse, and he looks on the bottom of his boot, and there's his owner's name. Now, and I know that's just a cartoon, but think about this, folks. If you know Christ as Savior, he's, he's engraved his name on you. You're his. We, we don't have to perform and be what everybody else thinks because God thinks we're important enough that he put his name on us. He loves us. He sent his son to die for us. We receive his gift of eternal life, and, and now he, we're his. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 it tells us this, do you not know your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You, you were bought. You were purchased. You belong to him, and he loves you, and he cares for you. Our identity is not found in, in what we do and how we perform. It's found in who we are because of what he did for us. That's where we find our identity, we find our approval in what God has done and what he, will, and what he is doing in our lives. Let me, we, we know our approval comes from what Christ has done, our identity is who we are in Christ. Let me give you a third thought. A full life that we're talking about is found in the pursuit, not the performance. Here's what we know. None of us have got there yet. We've all got issues. None of us are going to do any of this perfectly we still got a ways to go. And if you go back to verse 3, I told you I wanted to come back and see this again. Here's what Paul said. He said, talking about, it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He said, here's what he's trying to tell us is, I'm not going now after this to win performance. I, 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 could, I could play the performance game, and, and I could beat some of you at that game. He said, and I know I would get beat by others, but it's not about that. It's not about having any confidence in the flesh. In fact, look at this translation of that same verse. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Notice, we rely on what Christ has done for us, and we put no confidence in our human effort. We're relying on what he did, and we're not trusting in what I can do. It's not about my performance. It becomes down to a pursuit. So let's keep walking through this verse. What if what, what the, the, the idea of what Jesus has done for us, down in verse 13 Look what Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of, of it. I've not, I've not got there yet. And all of us could agree with that. I've not, I've not made it yet. I, I'm not perfect yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Man, there's some amazing things in there. But he said, listen, rather than performance, here's the one thing I'm going to do. 
And, and to, to do that one thing, I've got to forget what is behind. Forget means to neglect, to put it in that. And that behind, we, we know he's talking about the past. Forget the past. And, and I know the past comes back to haunt us once in a while. But he says, as it does, put it aside. And that could mean the past from past, past, like, you know, deep in your, your subconscious. But that could be the past of yesterday. And, and the, the good and the bad you did yesterday. And that's what, when he's talking about the past, he is talking about the bad, the, the failures, the hurts, the pains, the disappointments. But he's also talking about your successes and the things. I did this right, and I got that right, and, and look how good I did here. And you, you take all those things, good, bad, and you take, the, it's the past. You put that behind you. He said, he said, neglect, forget the past. And then he says, and straining toward that which is ahead. And straining has to do with not only effort, but it has to do with direction. He says, keep your eyes ahead. Strain towards what's the, the goals out there. Keep looking there. When you do this, all runners know, when you do this, you lose. When you're looking behind, you lose. You, you keep your eye, you forget the past, and you keep looking ahead. You strain for the goal ahead of you. He said, that's what, that's what's all, but then look what he says. And then press on toward the goal to win the prize. Pre the word press on. I want you to stop there because it's really, it's one word in the Greek. And, and the word, it means energy. It means to, to press on, to give it all you have. But by definition, I want you to hear the first definition of this word. It means to pursue. It literally means in some, in a negative sense, to persecute, to go after, to harass. We might use an English word to stalk. What is he saying? He says, what you have, this goal in front of you, just go after it and pursue it. It's about the pursuit. It's not about your performance. It's about the pursuit. It's about putting everything and just seeing that you're pursuing and you're pursuing what God has for you. 2 Corinthians 5, Stephen read this earlier. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. It's just about pursuing what God has for you, pursuing his will. It's about the pursuit. It's about saying, God, I'm not there, but I want to love you more today. I want to follow you more. I just want to pursue. And I'm not worried about whether I did wrong yesterday. I'm not going to get it right. I'm just pursuing you. I'm going after you. I'm living for you. And, and one final thought. Keep in mind with that pursuit. The size of your goal will shape the success of your journey. Because if you remember what he said, press on to take hold of that, to, to press on, he says in verse 14, to, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Press on towards that goal. If your goal is to be approved by people, you're going to find that's empty. Okay, let's, let's just change that. Let's say my goal is I want to be the best salesman I can be. I want to be the best doctor. I want to be the best nurse. I want to be the best truck driver. I want to be the best farmer. I want to be the best pastor. I want to be the best mom and best dad. None of those are bad goals, but can I just tell you what the problem is? They're not near high enough. If you're the best dad on, on this earth and you miss the fact that God has something, a goal, a relationship with him, and the goal is just to pursue the highest goal possible, and that is the goal of knowing Jesus, of following him, and your relationship daily, and you just pursue that relationship, and you let the performance, you let God worry about that. You pursue him. You pursue the relationship. You go after that which is heavenly-minded, if you would. Your, your goal is not performance. He says about the things that are heavenward, and that, that means heaven, obviously eternity, but it's also that upward goal is that God has, 
you hear for a reason, and you go after who God is and what he's made you to do, and you make that your pursuit. God, what do you want from me today? How can, what, what is it that, that's before me? To, I want to pursue you. I want to pursue loving you. I want to pursue following you. I want to keep my eyes somewhere that are, that are above just what I'm doing here on the earth. Here how Colossians, Paul put it this way. If you have been raised with Christ, seek, set your heart on the things that are above. Let me give you another translation of that. The paraphrase says this. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. We pursue a lot of stuff, and a lot of it has to do with so people will think well of us. He says just pursue the things that, that, that God is pursuing. Pursue what he wants in your life. Make that our pursuit. Let that be, rather than our performance, let it be pursuing him, which reminds that word seek in, in verse 1 is the same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And it's not just about giving God your top priority. It's about making God your life. Seek him first. Seek him above, above all things. Make him who he, your life is. In fact, that's how Colossians 3 put it. Colossians 3, 4 says this. He says, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek or set your hearts on things above. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is your life. He doesn't just give you life. He is your life. And when you recognize that and you make that your pursuit, you find that that's what you're looking for. These things go away. Performance lasts so long, but the pursuit of Christ lasts forever. Those are the things that make a difference forever. So I take you back to Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal. I pursue the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I think Paul would summarize, this is the goal. I want to know Christ. Today, I've just shared personally that this is, a, this is a struggle in my life to live for God and pursue Him rather than the approval of people. But what I found is when I'm pursuing this, it's empty. When I'm pursuing that, I find the, what God has made me to be. Because, take us back to our theme, Christ's performance gives my life it's what Christ did that gives meaning to my life. It's what Christ did that gives me identity. It's what Christ did that, get, that fulfills my life. This morning, what areas of performance are you still trusting here yourself? For some, it's in a crowd this size, it's very possible that there are some here who are trusting your performance and hoping that what you do will be good enough that you're going to someday earn a relationship with Jesus. When you die, it's all going to about because you're really trying hard. And can I tell you, you've got to stop because you're never going to reach that goal of earning a favor with God. You're a sinner. You're separated from a holy God. The only hope you have is in what Jesus did for you when he gave his life on the cross. And he did the work. You just have, simply have to receive the gift. Have you done that? Has there been a point in your life when you recognized as a sinner, I can't, I can't do anything to come to God, and you went to, came to Christ and you received his gift of eternal life? Have you done that? 
For some of us in this room, as followers of Christ, we're still trying to fill the holes of our life with what we're trying to do. And he says, the goal is, pursue me. Pursue this walk with me. Know Christ. It's about the pursuit. It's not about your performance. Would you bow your heads with me, please? My hope today is there's some that will, this week, as followers of Christ, you're going to rest in him. You're going to rely in him. You're going to trust him. You're going to relax, and you're going to know that my performance is my performance, but if I pursue Christ, that, that answers everything. The risen Christ will fill the holes that I've created in my life. Father, I pray for this audience. Lord, I've prayed this week, has this been a, a sermon that's really tugged at my heart, and I pray that, that I'm listening to the words that you've had me share. And I remember that it's not about who I am or what I've done, it's about who you are and what you've done for me. And so, Lord, I pray that you're saying that to this audience today. If there's one here that's without Christ, help them to realize that they need a Savior and that your arms are open wide to, to forgive them their sins and to save them if they'll come to you. And I pray that even now, they're calling out to you from their hearts, saying, God, save me, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died and rose on the cross on the in third day for me. Please save me. I pray that even now they cry out to you. And then, Lord, I pray as Christians that we'll walk away from here resting in you, trusting in you, taking whatever steps we can to, rather than listen to those voices of performance, we just pursue you with everything that we have. God, please do a work in our lives.